don't know about you, but I'm getting sick of this world. And uh, when we sing songs like that, it just makes my mind think about the Lord's coming soon and what a joyful moment that will be for the believer in the Lord. Amen? And uh, you get on social media enough, you look at the alphabet soup news agencies, um, it can be really discouraging, really defeating. So just stay off of it, stay away from it, and let's stick to what the Lord has for us to do. Amen? And um, <clears throat> just recently my aunt on my mother's side passed away just a few days ago. And uh, she knows the Lord, and she's with the Lord. And anytime there's some squeaky pews back there, I don't know if it's people's bones or the benches or what, but do I need to speak up so everybody can hear? Or do I need to repeat anything that I just said? <laughs> we need to make a mark on that bench back there just so everybody knows which one it is. Maybe it'll make people move forward and not sit so far back. I don't know. Anyway, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tonight, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll look at verses 4 through 7 for our text here tonight. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And then verse 8 says, Charity never faileth. Before we get into some of these verses tonight, I just want to think about this thought for a minute and you should think about it too, I suppose, as you're sitting there. But just think about this thought. How good has God been to you? All right? Let's just ponder that thought for a second. That God has truly been good to His people. And we could all claim some of the very same blessings, certainly. But individually, we all have things that God has specifically done that's, that's unique and specific just to you, that verifies and proves His goodness and His kindness in your life. And I could say the same thing. There are things in my life that are unique to me uh, that you don't get to, to experience or be blessed with because, because God is individual in that regard, and He's good to all of us, uh, both generally and individually uniquely. Amen? God has given us more than what we would ever deserve, certainly, and no one who is thinking right would, would deny that or, or um, argue that point, that God has given us much more than we would ever deserve. In fact, what we deserve is wrath and judgment. And so think of it for a minute. God has been good to you. We could start with the fact that God provided a means of salvation, for you, for me, for the vilest of sinners, which we ought to consider ourselves to be such. He's given us many promises, like Hebrews 13, 5, for example, where God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is an actual promise from Almighty God, who cannot lie. To you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So in those times when we're fretting and we're fearing and we're thinking that God isn't responding or God isn't near, uh, we are not operating in faith and we're not operating on the, the, the premise or the promise of God who cannot lie, that I will never leave you. God has never left you, right? Even in those difficult times, what a blessing that is and part of the goodness of God in your life. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said in John 10 and verse 28, I give unto them eternal life. 
and they shall never perish. That is a promise from God. If you lost everything, the, the most important thing is that God promised you eternal life. Amen? We're just thinking through some of the, the goodness of God, the blessings of God. He blesses with physical blessings, certainly. Uh, we live in America, uh, and we are blessed beyond measure. Even when the toys and the things that we have are breaking down, or we feel like life is, like, is, is uh, you know, a, a bucket of nails, There's <laughs> it feels like everything's going wrong. We are still physically blessed beyond measure. Besides the physical blessings, even more importantly, we have the spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1.3 tells us that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We've got to explore that sometime. Like spiritual blessings. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Those are the non-carnal blessings. And we could go on and on. When a person is saved, God gives spiritual gifts so that God can use us in his kingdom. That's another blessing of God. We have purpose that this world does not know anything of in the fact that God has saved you and then he saved you so that you can serve him and he's gifted and enabled us to be able to serve him in his kingdom. God has given the measure, the spirit, the manifestation of the measure of the spirit to everyone that is his child. Much more could be said about that. But I think it's plain to see that God has been good to us. Amen. What generates that goodness? What motivates that? Where does it come from? What's the root of it? Well, I think, I think, and I think it's very clear and plain in the scriptures that it's God's love towards you and me that is the root and the motive behind all of his goodness to us. The love of God for his people is something that Jeremiah 31.3 says is an everlasting love. Go there with me. Just hold your place here and look at Jeremiah 31. I'm talking about this for a reason, so stay with me on these thoughts, okay? Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, the Bible says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Now, you say, well, that was, that was given to Israel and the restoration of Israel and so on. Well, we could say that that is true, but that is a principle that carries over into the New Testament. Romans chapter 8 and the end of the chapter tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Height, nor depth, nor, nor any other creature. It's an everlasting love. His love is what motivated him to send the Lord Jesus Christ to this world to give his lifeblood so that we could be saved. For God so loved the world. In fact, the greatest evidence of the love of God is the fact that Jesus Christ died. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Here's how we know the love of God. That the Lord Jesus Christ laid down His life for you and for me. God's greatest gift to you and to me is His love. We could say that his love was also placed within us the moment that we were saved by his grace. Not only did he love us and make a way for us to be saved, but then he gave us his love. In fact, Romans 5, 5 says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, so God loves us, and then God gives His love to us. Uh, and the point that I'm trying to make here is, is that that should affect the way that we live individually, and it should affect the way that we treat others. Because God's love working in us and then displayed one to another is actually the greatest testimony 
testimony we have to a lost world. John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. You guys could, like, move up to the pew ahead. I mean, everyone's cramming into that one pew all tonight. <laughs> there are other empty seats. Uh, it's okay. It's not your fault. Got distracted. When we walk in love, when we display God's love, when we uh, um, demonstrate God's love one to another, we're actually walking in obedience to the Lord. John 13, 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. When we walk in love one for another, we prove that we're actually a child of God. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. You seeing the connection here? When we come to our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul is writing about what godly love looks like, what godly love does, and because God has loved us, and God has given us His love, these characteristics of God Himself then should be lived out in the life that we live towards other people. In the context of chapter 13, it's actually dealing with some of the problems in the church at Corinth. One of the problems of the church in Corinth was that they were manifesting nearly every spiritual gift that existed, but the problem was that they weren't manifesting this one. They weren't walking in love one for another. The Corinthians loved the flashy things. They loved the speaking in tongues. They loved the prophecies, and they loved the other gifts that made them look spiritual in the eyes of others. But Paul was saying to them, hey, God is more interested in you coming to the place where you love one another like He loves you. That is what is really spiritual. Godly love is what is really spiritual. Not these other things that will promote you or make you look spiritual in the eyes of others. No, God's more interested in you displaying the kind of love that He's shown to you, to other people. I think it's really notable that when Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 talks about the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit of God, the very first one is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Why is that? Because that's what God is. That's who God is. That is His character. That is His nature. Not only did He love us, but He also enables us then to love others. So, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in these verses, and in reality what this is, is a call to more Christ-likeness and more maturity. The church in Corinth lacked some things. They were rich in lots of other things, in, in spiritual gifts, but they were lacking in this, and Paul was calling them to more Christ-likeness. Paul writes these great words to remind the Corinthians that of all the great spiritual things that they can do, the greatest spiritual exercise is love. Notice what he says in verses 1 through 3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Paul's saying here, the greatest spiritual things that you can do, the greatest spiritual exercise is actually love. 
not all of these other things. And you, if you can do all this other stuff, but you don't have love, it's profiting you nothing. So those were words that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, but the effect of those words today should remind us that we might possess all kinds of spiritual gifts. We might possess all kinds of abilities to serve. But those things, even though they're good things, we, we need to remember that we are never more like the Lord Jesus Christ than when we are loving the right way. And so that's what I want us to look at tonight and think on is God's love, what does it look like, how it should affect us, what, what these words mean, how it should play out in our own relationships in this world. And just let me remind you, you probably already all know this, but if you don't, the Greek word for charity here is the Greek word agape, and it means a godly love. So when you see the word charity, it means love, God's love. But godly love, and note this, because we are prone to be the opposite of this. God's love is a love which proceeds from his very nature and not for the worth of the person who is being loved. God's love is a love that proceeds from his very nature rather than the worth of the person who is being loved. In other words, we're not worthy of it, we don't deserve it. We cannot earn it. And yet he loves us anyways. That is godly love. That should then translate into how we relate to other people. Because so often we'll show or demonstrate love to those people that we think deserve our love. Does that make sense? Well, in reality, godly love comes from the nature and not the worth of the person who is being loved. Godly love is one that gives. Godly love is one that seeks not its own. Godly love only seeks for the good and the best of the person who's being loved regardless of their, quote, worth. And so we'll look at some of those things as they are played out in these next verses here. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you'd Help us understand your word tonight, and Lord, help us to just be reflective and thoughtful over the word of God tonight as we seek to apply it in our life. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And these verses describe his nature and his character. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, notice the with me in verses 1 through 3, and we'll not take time to break all of these down. But in verses 1 through 3, we find the preeminence of love. I already alluded to this. Verse 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. And then verse 3 says you could give everything away. And you could even give your body to be burned, but if you don't have love, it doesn't profit you anything. Here we find the preeminence of love. The whole idea of these verses is that love is distinct from and superior to anything that we can be or do in this life. Love is separate from those things, and it's superior to it all. Regardless of what we do, if it's not infused with and carried out through the love of God, it's actually going to be a waste of time, is what the Apostle Paul says. What matters most, and the bottom line, and the most important thing, is not whether we possess some flashy gift. I could stand up here and I could wow you with eloquence of speech, and I could put together an outline that just blows your mind. But if it's not done through the love of God, and in the love of God, it's profiting nothing. It doesn't matter whether you possess some flashy gift or not. Somebody could have the ability to give, 
and they just give and give and give lavishly out of their abundance. And they could have a name that's given to themselves like, oh, what a wonderful giving person. But if the love of God is not there, it's profiting nothing. What matters most is not how smart you are. Your Bible knowledge. What matters most is not how wealthy you are or how popular you are, how famous or how well-liked you are in the church. That is not what is important. What matters most is if you have God's love and are you extending it to other people. See, we get it backwards when we have the attitude like, how come people don't love me? Or how come people don't, you know, how come people don't reach out to me? How come I don't have this and is friends? And how come I don't have connections? And why don't, why aren't people loving? We got it backwards, friend. The question is, do you have God's love and are you extending it to other people? What matters most is that the preeminence of love. When you learn and when we learn to love like Jesus Christ, then we've discovered what matters the most to the Lord. According to these verses, we see the preeminence of love. But here's where I want to spend the most of our time in verses 4 through 7, the portrait of love. Verse 4 says, Charity or love suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. So, in other words, what I'm getting at is we have the preeminence of love. Well, here's what it looks like, and here's what it ought to be. Here's what ought to be demonstrated in our relationships with other people. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. In these verses here, Paul gives us an in-depth description of what God's love looks like. He reveals its characteristics to us. And these, friends are truths that we need to be reminded of continually in our relationships with other people. Verses 4 through 6 show us love's features. And here he shows us what it actually looks like on people. And as he does, what we actually find is this is the person of God being revealed to us more and more because God is love. This is what God does right here. What does he do? Well, verse 4, charity suffereth long. Love suffers long. It means patient endurance, but it means patient endurance under provocation. This is a hard one. Patient endurance under provocation. The literal meaning of the word is long-tempered, but this is a characteristic of love that reveals that, listen, love is something that does not retaliate. Real love is something that does not retaliate. I think Stephen is an example of this type of love. You remember in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was being stoned, he preached the truth. These people rejected it. They didn't want to hear it, and they were going to kill him. In the very last verse of Acts chapter 7, Stephen says, Lay not this sin to their charge. He was being attacked. He was being provoked. He was being hated. There was malicious actions towards him, and his, even in his death, he said, lay not this sin to their charge. The greatest example of suffering long and patient endurance is, is the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. Remember, in Luke 23, as he hung on the cross, his words were, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's hard to suffer long. It's hard to have patient endurance when you're being provoked. When you're feeling attacked, right? It's hard not to retaliate. But godly love is patient. 
I was just listening to a preacher yesterday, and one that you would know if I mentioned his name, but I was listening to him preach, and he was describing how at some point there were problems in the church with some people. Imagine that, people problems in the church. But these folks had real issues, and they were causing trouble. And these disgruntled folks went on to social media, and they started blasting the church and the pastor and people in the church publicly and all of this kind of stuff. And he describes how all that went on, and he said inside of him, what he wanted to do the most was to just let these people have it. Because it was unjust, it was unfair, it wasn't even right. And inside, he wanted to just let them have it, but he had to tell his people, don't reply to them, don't answer them, don't respond to them, don't say a word. When everything inside him, he said, was just screaming to let them know what for. But because he loved them, and he cared for their soul in spite of what they were doing, in spite of what they were saying, he didn't reply. He didn't respond. He didn't retaliate. Well, he goes on to tell that story that in the end, and if I get my facts straight, it might have been years later, the main people in all of that ended up standing in front of the church and making it right, admitting they're wrong. How likely would that have been the case if he had retaliated and let the other people in the church who wanted to so badly to retaliate? There's a story that's told of Abraham Lincoln. When he was elected president of the United States, one of his most outspoken political enemies was a, a man named Edwin Stanton. Stanton used words regarding President Lincoln as low. He was a low, cunning clown. He called him the original gorilla. He even said this, it's ridiculous for people to go to Africa to see a gorilla when they can find one easily in Springfield, Illinois. Those are the words that this horrible man said about President Lincoln. But to Lincoln's credit, he never responded to anyone of those insults. And yet, when he was elected president, President Lincoln chose Stanton to be his secretary of war. And people were incredulous about that, and they asked him, why? Why did you choose this man? And his response was, because he's the best man for the job. Later on, when Lincoln had been assassinated, this same man who used those filthy, vile words against him stood by Lincoln's coffin and said through his tears, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. And the point of the story was to say that patient love in action ended up winning this man over in the end. But that's what love does in relationships. It's hard when we're being attacked to not want to retaliate or to retaliate back. But how much damage does it do to the relationship? And how much more could be won over in the end by demonstrating God's kind of love? That it suffers long. Verse 4 also says that charity suffers long and is kind. Is kind. Charity is kind. It means to act benevolently. It means to show oneself useful. Genuine love, godly love, isn't mean. It isn't nasty. Godly love respects others, reaches out to them. It also has the additional sense of gentleness of spirit. It's acting benevolently. It's showing oneself to be useful. In other words, listen, Godly love isn't something that withholds good or withholds need from people simply because we don't like them. It's sort of like there's a need that somebody has and you're like, oh, I see that need, but oh, I'll be warmed and filled. And you don't do something that's actually useful to help the person. It's not, it's not, it, love is kind, even when people don't deserve it. When they've said, horrible things about you, 
but because you love them as a person, you don't retaliate back. And also, you act and show yourself to be useful in their life still. How do we want to treat people who are unkind to us? Well, in the same way. <laughs> Not kindly. In fact, we just want to avoid them, stay away from them, keep them out of our life. And maybe there's room for that at some point, but it shouldn't be in retaliation. The supreme example of this kind of love is God Himself. God is kind to people despite their treatment of Him. <laughs> God is kind to you and to me despite our treatment of Him. How many people are blessed in this world? Everybody who is in this world, to some degree, is blessed by God because He's kind. The sun shines on sinners. Amen? God blesses with rain and all the things that we need to survive. God, in His kindness, gives because He loves, because He is love. He's the supreme example of being kind despite our treatment of Him. Romans 2.4 says, Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The goodness of God leads undeserving people to repentance. Verse 4 says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. You know what? True love is not jealous. And not jealous in the sense of, of being jealous over a love that you share, but jealous over abilities and successes and possessions of others. Real love doesn't envy. Instead of being jealous when others prosper or excel, Love is pleased when somebody does well. You know, somebody can be envious over the fact that, oh, you got that job, and, and oh, you make this much money, or, 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 or you get this, or you get that, and they'll say words, you know, that, that reveal, actually, there's envy in the heart. Real love doesn't do that. Real love is happy. Real love is joyful when others prosper or excel. It's pleased when others do well. Let me give you an example. It was jealousy that caused Joseph's brothers to throw him in a pit. They were envious. And it caused them to, to, to act in the, in the flesh, certainly. And yet, godly love is not that. Rather, godly love is pleased when others succeed. Verse 4 says that, Love vaunteth not itself. That word or that phrase, vaunteth not itself, literally means doesn't make a parade for itself. Love doesn't brag. It doesn't draw attention to itself or what it is doing. Love doesn't have to be the center of attention. Genuine love doesn't make a parade about itself or for itself. A person who's operating in godly love isn't going to do the same thing. Verse 4 says it's not puffed up. It means that it's not arrogant or proud or big-headed. Listen, a person who operates in genuine godly love realizes that all I have and all I am has been given to me by God Himself. It's a gift of the grace of God in my life. No matter how great my talents are, no matter how spectacular my gifts might be, everything that I have is only a result of the divine grace of God. Well, I work for my money. You've heard that attitude before and it's good to work hard it's good to earn it it's still only a gift of the grace of god genuine godly love isn't puffed up isn't arrogant about its accomplishments it's not proud 
or big-headed. Verse 5, go on to verse 5. Love doth not behave itself unseemly. Basically what this means is that genuine godly love isn't rude to other people. It treats others with consideration and respect. I think people are fickle, aren't we? One day we can like this person and be kind and nice to this person, and then the very next day we can be as rude as ever as anyone. Genuine godly love is not friendly one day and rude the next. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. Verse 5 says it seeketh not her own. That basically means it's not selfish or self-centered. The opposite is true. It's actively seeking the interests of what will profit other people. Like This is something I really appreciate about some people in our church that I've observed and noticed. Their interests are the things that are actually going to benefit and profit somebody else. It's, it's never looking at itself first, but always considers another one ahead of himself or herself. Jesus is the prime example of that kind of an attitude in action. Look at Matthew chapter 20 with me. Just keep your place here. But Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. The Bible says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. That's the epitome of it right there. To give His life. In Luke chapter 22, in verse 42, the Bible says here, Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus is the prime example of this kind of an attitude. And listen, this is how each of us should be to others, too. Because Philippians 2 and verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus." The me first attitude, or I've got to get mine, you know, I got to be the first one in line, is not considering others better than ourselves or others before ourselves. But genuine godly love doesn't seek its own. Like, how can I be of, uh, of help? How can I be a blessing to other people? What kind of, what kind of things says... I care about you, and I love you uh, as a brother or sister. Those are the things that I ought to be looking for so that I can speak that language of love to you. But most of the time, we say things like, well, that just doesn't speak to me. That just doesn't do it for me. And we're all concerned about the things that speak to me. Rather than, how can I demonstrate to you what's really in here? Verse 5 also says back in our text that not only does love not seek her own, but verse 5 says that it's not easily provoked. That phrase means to sharpen alongside. But basically what it's getting at is that genuine love doesn't and isn't uh, easily um, removed, it's not easily, um, well, provoked is the word here, but, but it doesn't give 
uh, into temper or, or, or sudden eruptions of anger. Little things don't just constantly irritate it or set it off. Agape love, godly love, overrules negative emotions. How many situations are made worse because of reactive words or actions out of anger? Everyone, right? They're made worse because of reactive words or actions out of anger. And for the good of relationships or for the the good of the other person's benefit, godly love is not easily provoked. The slightest little things don't set it off. Verse 5 also says that it thinketh no evil. You know what this means? It means it doesn't take worthless inventory. It thinketh no evil. It doesn't take worthless inventory. There are two thoughts in mind here. First of all, genuine love does not attribute evil motives to people. The actions of others aren't always seen in the most negative light. So like something happens and instantly our thought is that what was behind that, uh, that, you know, we attribute evil motives. We're judging someone's motives behind what they say or what they do. Well, genuine love is going to, first of all, give maybe the benefit of the doubt. It's not automatically going to think or attribute evil motives to people for what they say or what they do. But secondly, genuine love doesn't dwell on what other people may have done. Here's a good one. Real love doesn't remember past injury and hold it against someone else. Real love doesn't believe all it hears about another person. Let that one sink in for a second. And real love thoroughly doesn't look for faults in people. Not automatically. This one is very convicting. And one that we need reminding of often. Because... Many times, that's exactly what we do. We'll conjure up or pull up out of our memory banks past hurts or past feelings when we're in an argument or in something, and we'll use it against people. Or we'll pass judgment on them because of something that they did 5, 10, 15 years ago. So automatically, this person is this way. Or there's little gossip sessions that happen. And I start to believe the things that I'm hearing from somebody else. Godly love doesn't do that. doesn't believe everything it hears about another. Or will look for faults in people so that we can pass judgment on them. I think if, again, it thinks no evil. It doesn't take worthless inventory. And if the Lord would help us to practice real godly love and have that attitude, I think a lot of problems, most problems and dramas would probably be solved rather quickly. Someone once said, it's natural to love them that love us, but it's supernatural to love them that don't like us. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, it rejoiceth not in iniquity, Love doesn't rejoice in sin. Love isn't secretly glad when another person falls or messes up. You ever known somebody like that or even felt that way? I know that I have at times, and it's terrible. It's awful. It's terrible pride that finds pleasure when another person messes up. Somehow it makes the one who feels that, feel better about themselves or look better in some way. I think a lot of times that's probably the motive behind why people gossip too. Because it makes me look better somehow. True love doesn't gossip. True love doesn't rejoice when others fall. But it hurts with those that are injured. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. 
Verse 6 says it rejoices in the truth. Look at that. Rejoiceth not in, in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Love is glad for truth. Listen, even when truth hurts, love is glad when truth wins the day. And then you get to verse 7, and we find love's fortitude. So we, we saw what love looks like in, those, in verses 4 through 6, the portrait of it. But I want you to see the fortitude of it in verse 7, because verse 7 says, Real love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. This verse tells us of love's staying power. That love is a remarkable thing that never wavers. God's love is something that never wavers. It first says that it beareth all things. The word beareth is the Greek word stegio. It means literally to roof over or to cover in silence. And so it has not only the thought of putting up with people's faults or people's failures, but even covering over those things for their well-being. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Love patiently endures and overlooks the faults in others. Instead of parading the failures around and the faults around and telling others about it you know, before uh, the, 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 all the facts are even given, love says, you know what, we're going to cover it up. We're going to continue to love in spite of those things. Because the truth of the matter is we all fall, and we all fail, and we all have faults. That's how God loves. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 7 says that it believeth all things. Basically what this mean, means is that love trusts. Agape love is trusting, and it's the antithesis of suspicion. But you know what? That is really a hard thing when you've been burned before. The inclination is to be suspicious. I'll be the first one to admit this. Um, as a pastor or in ministry, and even with lots and lots and lots of relationships, it's very easy to become cynical because you're dealing with people and you get burned. And it can be real easy to become suspicious of people because you've been burned before. But the Bible tells us that godly love is trusting and the reason it should be that way is because God's love is something greater than other people's faults. God's love can conquer all. And how we need to ask the Lord to help us in those times when, when we've been burned or we've been hurt, we need to ask the Lord to help us to heal and then continue to love as He loves, as He loves me. Don't fall asleep. Hopefully you're applying. Hopefully you're thinking of your own life, your own relationships, how you relate to other people. It hopeth all things. As silly as this may sound to some, agape love thinks the best and hopes for the best. It never gives up hope. In fact, it refuses to accept failure. It always holds out hope that in the end, things are going to be okay. Things are going to be made right. It hopeth all things. Verse 7 says it endureth all things. However that may apply in your life, I don't know, but here's what it means. Endureth all things. It's a military term. And basically what it means is that love doesn't give up the ground that it's gained. It holds the line. It stands its ground. It continues in spite of everything that is being thrown against it or thrown at it. It doesn't give up ground. It holds the line. So no matter how terrible 
people are to you in your life or what someone says about you or has done to you, godly love says, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to endure. I'm going to hold the line. It continues in spite of persecution. It continues in spite of ill treatment. Love bears the unbearable. It believes the impossible. It holds on to the incredible. And it doesn't give up. That's God's love. Paul told Timothy that as a soldier of Jesus Christ, he should endure hardness. We could say probably a lot more about these, but for the sake of time, let me just kind of conclude with this. What makes love so great? Well, love is the defining characteristic of who God is. That's what makes it so great. The Bible describes God in this sentence. God is love. And here's what it looks like. Here's how God treats us. And for that reason, because of God's love and because God shed His love in our hearts, we ought to have the same characteristics towards other people. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for God is, or for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So what's the application with it all? Well, we're never more Christ-like than when we learn to love like God does. By His grace, through His help. And so may the Lord help us to walk in the Spirit, be controlled by the Spirit, that He may produce His love in us towards other people. How are your relationships? Do you love when people deserve it? Are you kind when people deserve it, when they're worthy of it? Do we retaliate? Do we love selfishly, which really isn't love at all? Are we really concerned about the well-being of others before ourselves? The Bible is pretty clear. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. May the Lord help us so that he can produce his love in us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you use your word here tonight? and Just things to be reminded of, thoughts to ponder. Lord, we need to submit and surrender and yield to the Spirit of God so that you might produce that fruit of love in us. May we desire it and yield to you. And Lord, I pray that you'd cause us then to, Lord, may our hearts be knit together in love as a church. May we be a testimony to this world that others may know that we are the disciples of Christ. And help us to have the heart and mind to, even though we are so far from perfect, to be willing to work at and work on our love relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.